it bothers me. I'm always going to fight. That's one. I mean, I've had. It's been amazing. They've counted me dead and out about 50 times, and everybody always misjudged when they thought I was done. You know, and so uh, I'm still standing. And it's kind of that's kind of cool. In law school, attorneys are taught to challenge everything, tear things apart, break them down. But the qualities that make lawyers great can be some of the worst for running a business. At every stage of growth, running a business and practicing law can feel overwhelming. And what happens when you try to add life and family to the mix? It can feel nearly impossible. You don't have to do it alone. I'm Maria Monroy, president and co-founder of Laring, a leading SEO agency for ambitious law firms. Each week, we hear from industry leaders on what it really takes to run a law firm, from marketing to manifestation. Because success lies in the balance of life and law, we're here to help you tip the scales. Today, I'm live with Glenn Lerner of Lerner & Rowe, one of the biggest PI firms in the country. Today, we discuss how to find the right people for your firm, the importance of building consistent success, and how worrying less can help you build a healthier life. What states are you in? Here's where we started. Arizona, we have about 300 employees in Arizona. That's our biggest. Um, about 80 people in Chicago, in Indiana. Um, Albuquerque, small office, less than 20 people, but we sign up more than Vegas now. That's crazy. Albuquerque's becoming a good little market. But we just, I mean, Arizona pays for everything. I mean, Chicago's become very successful now, but... You, so know, you have more I, cases in Arizona than here? I have more cases in Arizona than anybody in the United States has anywhere. What do you attribute that to? Um, I think Kevin and I both living there and being on the ground. Um, this office was so successful. This was, if it wasn't the most successful law practice in the country when I was here, it was way up there. But I left here in 2007. I'm the energy, and I'm a high energy guy. You are. So You're when, super high when energy. You lose, and when you lose that energy, you know, I have amazing people here. I love my guys here, though. But they're not the guy in the, they're not the guy in the billboard. It's not their name on the building, and it's, it doesn't have that same vibe, you know. Why did you leave? We didn't want to live here anymore. We didn't want to raise our children here anymore. We wanted to raise. We went back to our farm in Pennsylvania for uh, about a year, and then we uh, we moved on to Arizona. Thought it was close enough to still be able to run the Vegas office, but we were just starting in Arizona. Thought there was more opportunity in Arizona, a little more healthy environment, I thought, for our family. And uh, we fell in love with it down there. And then you went to Florida at some point? Oh, yeah. I've had six homes in Florida in the last. <laughs> I've, I'm a one-woman man, but um, Florida has been my mistress. You know, so we've owned six houses in Florida since 2014. Why do you love it so much? The beach? Yeah, I like the humidity. I, it's something about my lungs. I don't know. I just like it better. But I think now that we moved back, um, we moved back here to Arizona about a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. I won't leave again. I love it. In fact, I, I'd be more inclined to go to Los Angeles than I would to Miami now. Started a little business in Los Angeles and just there's more, from, it's just closer and easier. But I love Miami. I mean, but why did you there. come back from Miami to the West Coast? I missed my business. I missed being at the helm. And I really felt post-COVID, they needed my energy. They needed my leadership. You know, it's hard to be an absentee boss to keep going back and forth, coming, going, leaving. It's not fear of the business. Do you, you feel know? like there's a significant impact when you're there? Do cases go up? 
it's not so much cases going up. I think morale, culture. I, I'm an energy dude. You know, you I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm like a little nuclear reactor. I, it is what I am. That's why I was asking, like, what do you do to have so much energy? Because you're like, I need coffee, and I get here, and I'm like, you I did think not need coffee. coffee. You know, imagine if I did drugs, I'd be oh my. But God. do you like meditate, <laughs> exercise? I exercise every single day of my life. Okay. Uh, yeah. Weights or cardio, both. Both, yeah. Interesting. But I work out a lot, and I'm just—I've always been a high, high energy, positive. And it's just who I am. That's you know, I don't have much else going for me. Receding hairline, shrinking, <laughs> getting older. But uh, you know, I'm I'm really positive, and I'm very upbeat, and I'm uh, I'm just having fun. I swear to God, I got a second wind about a year and a half ago, and I just I I'm really good at what I do, and I love it. And I think I get everybody to kind of follow suit. I got a great partner in Arizona, you know, who made a partner everywhere in the country, and it's really good. We we complete each other because I do all the stuff he can't do. I handle all the stuff nationally, all our mass torts, all our relationships nationwide. I know everybody in the country. He knows everybody in Arizona. Where I mean, our charity, we were named the most philanthropic business in Phoenix. You know, we, we're going to raise well over a million dollars just for our golf tournament we're having at the end of the month, which is pretty amazing for lawyers, especially. No one likes lawyers. They almost <laughs> like us, you know. You know, so I think it's, you know, it's nice when you see stuff on Facebook where people write and say, hey, thank you so much for what you guys do in the community. It's amazing. And it, what a blessing. You know, I feel like I'm kind of like Robin Hood. I steal from the insurance companies. We take a little bit for ourselves, you know, but we do okay. But I really give it back, you know, especially the way I grew up. You know, I grew up really poor. I grew up with a father in jail for double murder. I grew up on welfare, and I think it's just always been a nice thing to, I always like the, I always was for the little guy. Did you know you were going to be successful? I always thought I was going to be a professional athlete. Really? I was always sure I was going to be a, uh, I was a soccer player. And I was soccer. a great soccer player. Oh, wow. Just okay. two minutes, but four, four knee surgeries uh, within my first year and a half uh, at Duke. You know, we won the national championship at Duke my uh, senior year. But four knee surgeries within my first two years just took away all my speed and everything. So That's it made the any only hopes. sport I like yeah. and that I follow. Because I'm from Mexico, so you know there. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It, of and my kids, well, one place and... The other one, talking about my boys, loves it. Like they both, it's like the mm-hmm. one sport that they follow and watch. Or do you still follow it or no? Of course. So the World Cup is like a big deal. That was deal. crazy. That was Did amazing. you go? No, I went to the World Cup. The last World Cup I went to was 1994. Wow. Yeah, I, I well, it's the, supposed to be here next time. Yes, it is. That's so. going to be exciting. The majority of the games are going to be here and then you're going to have, uh, I think a third of the games split between Mexico and Canada. Canada. Yeah, I'm super excited. I plan on going as much as I can. How long did you play for? Well, from the time I was, I started late. That's why I was never going to be great. Um, I was a really good American football player. I could have played almost any sport. I was a really, really good athlete at Duke. You know, the coach at Duke said I was the best athlete on the best team in America. I was a great athlete, but I was only, you know, back then I was 5'9". I'm shrinking. I'm down to 5'8". And um, just, I was never going to be tall. And so football wasn't going to be for me. What did you learn from playing sports that helped you? Teamwork, for sure. Teamwork, camaraderie, leadership, you know. Team, 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 team. The greater good, you know. We're huge culture people. I think that is the backbone of our business is our culture. 
you know? It's not just about me and Kevin. I guess I should say good English. Uh, Kevin and I. <laughs> it's um, We really focus on the team. I want to put my employees ahead of myself. Um, How many employees do you have? Maybe about 450. That's crazy. That's ridiculous. Oh, no. But um, I think with... We want to put them ahead of ourselves because, you know, it's hard. You know, it's hard. Everybody thinks Lerner and Rowe is me and the other guy. Lerner and Rowe is those people on the front lines. I don't deal with any clients' cases anymore. I mean, I deal with cases behind the scenes nonstop. I evaluate every case that goes from claims to litigation, every fir- case in the firm I see. And that allows me to see who's going to handle it, should we keep it, does it meet the threshold to keep? What are my guys in claims doing? What are the case managers doing? So I can evaluate how people are doing and then mentor them. And if they're not doing things right, hey, why aren't you doing this? I love mentoring people, and I've been doing this 32 years. And I'm not that great at anything in the world, but I'm really good with cases. I'm like a savant with cases because I see possibilities. Most people just see what's in front of them. I see what cases can be, you know, and most people just want to be done with something quickly, and I don't. You know, this is a client's only chance to recover. So you want to make sure they can, you know, whatever's necessary is can be done for them, you know. So you say it's all about teams. Was it easy for you to delegate? Oh, yeah. I'm the least micromanaging guy on the planet because micromanaging kills people. So I'd rather people screw up a couple times. Now, if you screw up too many times, you kindly ask to leave. <laughs> you know, you're not going to, you're not welcome here anymore. You've lost, you know, you're out of the circle of trust. But why hire people if you're going to micromanage them? That's silly. Might as well try to do it on your own. There are certain types of people. I'm not a risk averse pe- person. So earlier we were talking about all the coaching that's available now and how popular that oh, is. Oh, goodness gracious, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I think a lot of people, they just want to be coached up a lot, uh, but they're not willing to go out and do it sometimes. You know, it's nice to get ready. Coach me up. Coach me up. Get me ready. It's like they're doing something. They feel like they're doing something by being coached. Yeah, but ultimately it comes down to just going out and taking the chance. And I think a lot of people, there's a fear of failure. So if you go out and you do it and you strike out and you don't get cases, you're like, I'm a failure, you know? I've always been the type of guy... Let me go out and get cases, and I'll figure it out along the way. How would you do it now, though? Like, let's say you didn't have a brand anymore, brand new firm, 2023, what would you do? The world's changed, hasn't it? Yeah. It's crazy. I'm a, I'm a brand dinosaur. I love brands. Um, well, you have a really strong brand. I have one of the two or three strongest brands in the country. I know. But um, every day... People that don't have a brand nip away at me like little minnows, pulling a case here, pulling a case here online, social media, uh, Google. Yeah, you know, and it's hard. You're battling. Um, if I weren't, if I didn't have a brand, I would absolutely call Maria Monroy at Law Rank. <laughs> no, 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 I'm serious. Would you start a brand? hard to build a brand it takes so much it depends on the market but it's such a i mean this is the world's most competitive business model i am convinced because think about it you have you have anybody can become rich overnight with one lucky case get it sign it up refer out to a big litigator wait go get a 40 50 percent referral fee and now you can compete against guys with brands but if not you got to go out and nickel and dime it until you build a little momentum um 
and it takes time. I mean, to build a brand, to build my brand in Chicago, took $10 million cash from me. Took four and a half years before we weren't putting any more money in. Took another probably three years to get all our original investment back. You know, I joke around. I could have put that money in a Franklin Templeton fund and been way up. Instead of just getting my money back, you know, by, uh, you know, a few years ago. But now it's, I'm a cash flow guy. I'm a cash flow monster. I love cash flow. And I think one of the things that separates me from a lot of other attorneys is that I always saw the beauty of cash flow early on. And so, you know, when people come up to me and say, man, how much is your overhead? It, I never thought about it. I've never thought about once what my overhead is because I've never, no one's check has ever bounced, you know? But that's the difference between risk averse and being, you know, I call my, I'm a cowboy. You know, I just don't worry about things. Nothing's, what's the worst scenario? I don't have money, then I'm, all right, I suck, you know? <laughs> I've never worried about it. How many states are you in? I mean, brand dominant, Vegas, Albuquerque. Albuquerque is not a state. New Mexico <laughs> state. Um, Nevada, Arizona, uh, New Mexico, Chicago. Again, not a Illinois. state again. Yeah, Illinois, Indiana. So five states where we're brand dominant. Absolutely and brand you're in dominant. And other states as well? We handle cases in a number of other states where we have licensed attorneys, you know, handle a bunch of cases in Missouri, um, a lot in Wisconsin. Uh, where else? What, where do you want A lot in California. Really? Yeah. Where do you want to dominate next? I mean, I've always wanted, my dream's always been to go to LA. And I think one of the biggest mistakes I ever made was going to Illinois instead of Los Angeles because Los Angeles is a triangle, Phoenix, Las Vegas, LA. Mm -hmm. And I think our brand would have translated much quicker. Because people drive in and out. And it's much better laws for what we do. You get great verdicts on some cases in Chicago, but too many substandard insurance companies. So when you're a big advertiser like we are, and you, you know, there's a certain level on the social echelon that you attract in this business model. We know what it is. But a lot of those people don't have insurance or this substandard insurance. Whereas in California, you can make them pay because of the good bad faith laws. There are no bad faith laws supporting you in, in Chicago and in Illinois. So it's made it difficult in that respect to have a lot of teeth behind this massive volume. You like to move, huh? I get fit. No, I don't mean physically. I mean like actually move. Like go live in, go live in Florida. Go live in... Oh, I'm a wanderer. I yeah. absolutely have wanderlust. Yeah. You know, I'm I, the same way. So I, I, I really you know, I have all my friends back home, and I'll, I'll sometimes I'll say, "Man, it must be so cool just to go to high school place and stay there, and you know everybody." Sounds awful. I'm sorry. I mean, I just yeah. To me, it's it. I can't do it. No. I'm a wanderer. I have my little partner in crime, my wife. Aside from that, yeah, I have my kids and everything. Oh, kids are all over the place. You know, I just I'm a wanderer. I've always been that way, but I'm happy in Arizona. I don't know if I'll move again, but I'm already. I'm always on Zillow. Zillow is. <laughs> some people look at porn, this or that. I don't look any of that crap. My wife, she's never worried about me looking at that crap. Other women, nothing. You know what she looks at? She sees me on the computer. What are you looking at? She'll come over and Zillow, like in Beverly Hills or L.A. or back in Miami, and she'll go, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, like she. Like, hiding and I try to hide my computer and she'll look oh my god that's beautiful where is that how much do they want you know <laughs> she's an enabler so LA's next 
we started a little business there uh, because I've always wanted to do faith-based films. So we started a little uh, production company there. So we'll see what happens. If it takes off, then maybe we'd spend more time there. But the politics are just so crazy there. The taxes, everything. So I don't know if I could do that to myself, but I love the weather so much. Really? I think it's a little bit cold. Oh, my God. I love the weather. Everything grows there. I love plants. Plants are my favorite things on the planet. Do you garden? More than anybody on the planet, but really? I garden like with a lot of people working for me and stuff. Oh, you don't do it yourself? Yeah, I'm kind of like Pharaoh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's crazy um, what I've done at my house in Arizona. Or my, we got a couple hundred acres at our farm in Pennsylvania, and all I do is cut down trees, plant new trees nonstop. I just love trees. I'm like a Lorax. That's interesting. Yeah, that's, that's my hobby. Huh. I just go outside and wander for hours. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I have OCD. I mean, it's just serious OCD. So just, <laughs> well, it, it's, it's, it's perfection OCD. But it's probably worked out for you. I Sometimes I think I'm a little mad, for sure. But yeah, maybe, but at least I'm maybe, cognizant of it. Yeah. But it's only with trees. It's only. with trees. Yeah, I'm with cases and stuff. I'm up. The hard thing when you do this business, because so much, especially once you, you got to feed the beast once you get to a certain size. So you need X number of cases. You know what you need. You know your volume. You know what you're doing. And so you start judging yourself. Like as a person, it almost, you know, how'd we do yesterday? Oh, we signed up. You know, we've had days where we'll sign up 70, 80 cases in a day in Phoenix. That's a good day. That's crazy. And then there'll be a day that maybe you sign up. I mean, if we sign up less than, 25 or 30 in the day in Phoenix, that's like a bad day. Do you stress? I don't ever stress. You know why? Because I know that Kevin's stressing. <laughs> he stresses for me. You let him stress. Yeah, I don't worry. What's the worst scenario? Like I said, what's the worst scenario? But you look at your numbers for the day through all the markets, and I know a number we, we need to be, you know, a month. And if we're like significantly below that, I'm like, man, is the end? Is it the end of the empire, you know? And you say, yeah, I'll do something else. I'll go dig trees or something. A lot of lawyers are worried that PI, I keep hearing this rumor, and I think it's been around PI forever. is going to die. Do you agree? I'm, a sh- I'm probably the first person that said it. By the year 2035, 36, 37, is autonomous vehicles take over more and more the road? Absolutely. But think about it also. Every year, you have more cars on the road with accident avoidance. Um, yeah devices in them i think i can't crash my cars if i tried i couldn't crash my cars into anything you know i don't know i have a tesla and it has the self-driving feature and it messes up all the time so i think we're further away than we think it freaks me out i don't like using it yeah but when i think you know kevin and i were talking about on the plane ride over today um before the self-driving cars and autonomous vehicles and everything, I actually think AI is going to interfere and make us more and more obsolete. How? Just I think the, the op- opportunity for people to take AI and apply it to what we do, ultimately you can get AI to do a better job than the case manager, the intake rep, or the attorney. Ultimately, people will be able to just go find a business online that can handle their entire case for them, find them a doctor that handles what they need, get them to the right people, take their case, put in a demand, tell them where their settlement range should be with this, and I think it's coming. So you think that's going to be the end of PI? 
I think that along with the autonomous vehicle, something. But yeah, PI is nothing lasts forever. You evolve yeah. and adapt. That's why we've, you know, we have, I think, maybe the second largest criminal practice in the state of Arizona under a different entity, a law group, Learner and Roll Law Group. Um, What's it called? Learner and Roll Law Group. Okay. I didn't um, know that. Yeah. Um, we've been a criminal for a long time. Um, starting an immigration practice. So we'll absolutely have a robust immigration practice over the next several months. We've had a strong bankruptcy practice forever. Um, We'll start diversifying. We're going to get more into business litigation, looking for high-end business cases that we could do on a hybrid or a contingency model because so many of the old firms still are hesitant to do that. You know, we're cowboys. We're willing to eat what we kill. Those guys aren't. They want to be paid... They want to be paid hourly. I don't want that. I want a chance for the big bucks. I want to hit the lottery, you know? So you just have to make sure you pick the right the right horse to back. What about employment? Do you guys do employment? No, but it's something we've really, really considered for Los Angeles. And we've talked to several people about that. But I think I think over the next two to three years, we will be a full-service law firm handling almost everything. The only thing we won't be doing is uh, charging hourly, <laughs> you know? It'll just be, you know, be immigration, criminal, and we'll actually start a family law component as well. I was well. going to ask you that. I and I that. hate family law. Do you? I did it my first seven years. You see the basis side of human nature. People are so rotten. I once, you know, I always tell this story. I once had a guy come into my office. I'm a straight up guy. I say what it is. He came in. First thing he said, my wife is the biggest bitch ever. I was like, man. You must be the biggest idiot I've ever met then, I said to him. And he looked at me, he got all upset. What do you mean? I said, well, you married the biggest bitch ever. (laughs) And he said, well, she wasn't like that when I married her. I said, obviously she wasn't. Because every action is a reaction to another action. Maybe your wife became that way due to the way you treated her. Or you weren't giving her what she needed. So don't come in here telling me that, you know. And he's like, hey, man, you're right, you know. But sometimes you just call people on things, you know. It's funny, when my husband was in law school, a lawyer friend said, whatever you do, don't let him go into family law. It's very hard on your soul. I think so. I think it's, it's almost like, you know, you ever wonder how psychologists or psychiatrists can do what they do? They hear all this bile coming from people, people that have been abused, people that have been cheated on, beat, whatever. And you listen to this all day, and no matter what, you think you can take it and filter out, but it it lays in there in people's souls. I, I don't give so a crap. Too. There's no way you can hear that. And the same thing when you do family law, you hear this crap and you see how people try to hurt each other over custody and this and that. I love divorces when there are no kids involved and stuff. Easy, That's easy okay. peasy. When it's kids, That's they tough. always use the children to hurt the other person. That's just so sad. And the children become the pawns, you know, and they just ultimately they're the ones who get hurt. It's amazing when people can resolve things amicably. It's just sad. Divorce has become such a common part of our culture. Well, remember, hurt people hurt people. So, But I definitely could not do anything like that. Like, my energy gets too impacted. My sister's a social worker, and she actually works at a children's hospital. Yeah. So she sees all sorts of awful things. And I'm like, you're a great human, because I just could not. I would take that home. Like What we do to people is amazing. You know, what we do to our fellow man, it's absolutely amazing. I'm just amazed by people sometimes. <laughs> it yeah, is. It is. All right, well, let's not get too somber and deep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we, we could. It, I, I think it all comes from childhood, but... Everything comes from childhood. 
Yeah. Everything comes from childhood. I mean, if you the incidents of of sexual abuse. It's crazy. It's and it's underreported. So absolutely. it's absolutely it's, it's well, well in excess of twenty five percent of children are sexually abused. Yeah, it's crazy. It's and scary. And it stays with them forever. And the truth is, people carry this baggage forever. And this shame and this feeling like they did something wrong and not realizing how beautiful they really are, you know, and how worthy they are. And that's, you know, that's what Jesus, that's where Jesus comes in, you know. Whatever happened to you, it doesn't matter. Whatever you've done in your life, it doesn't matter. You are worthy. I took your, I took all that sin and shame and laid it up on the cross for you, you know. But people can't accept that. Were you always religious? I'm not religious. You're not? I hate that word, religious. It's a terrible word. Huh. Um, I have a relationship Why is it a with, terrible word? Because religious is about... So many people that are religious are hypocrites. Um, I, was I, just, I agree. I grew up Catholic, so... Yeah. Um, definitely I'm, I'm not religious. I'm a guy that has a relationship with God through the intermediary intercessor, Jesus Christ. I'm a Jew who gave his life to Jesus because I was a crazy man. When I lived here in Vegas, I was an adulterer. I was just a bad guy. I screwed up my first marriage with adultery. It's hard. God gives you this pretty face. And, you know, I was just, I was just a bad guy. I didn't know who God was. And, but I was yoked with a wife with a lot of faith. And it was amazing what he's done in my life. April 26, 2006, I gave my life to Jesus. And it's been amazing what he's done with me as a man in my marriage, um, as a boss, as a leader of people. And I think everybody can see that. I still say some stupid things sometimes, but... I'm funny as I'll get out, so it's just hard to bite my tongue. God, I, and, and I know, I, I think every night I have to say, God, I'm sorry I said that today, you know? Wait, can we talk about the first time we met? I called to apologize because I thought I was just very abrupt with you, and I didn't want to seem abrupt, and you were so nice and gave me such a lovely compliment, but I just felt really bad, you know, and wanted to, I felt like I almost brushed you off, and I didn't want to feel like that. I just thought you were so sweet and everything. But that was so sweet of you to call me. Like yeah. most people would not have done that. And I just for, felt really bad about it because you kind of came up and you're like, hey, can you teach me how to... I was like, you were such a good... And honestly, I, at that point, didn't even know what a big deal you were. Had I known, I maybe would I'm have like been... I'm like Ron Burgundy. I'm kind of a big deal yeah. around here. I, don't, I didn't know. And had I known, I think 1, I would... 1,001, 1,002. <laughs> had I known, I wouldn't... Uh, if you haven't seen Anchorman, go see it. Oh my goodness. Not Anchorman 2. That's Anchorman 1. Can all my episodes be this fun? Uh, I probably wouldn't have gone up to you, but I did. And you weren't rude. You were just, I, I think it was during COVID and you were trying to get out of there. It's just, Well, you just said, you know, teach me how to be. How, you're such a good public speaker. That's I'm just a charismatic guy. I am what I am. I'm an evangelist. It's simple as I am what I am. I can't do anything in the world except I can just speak from the heart and I never look at anything. I'll do an entire jury trial without looking at a note. I talk to people. Look in people's eyes. Look at their hearts and talk to them. Just be yourself. People know when you're being honest and transparent. You know, I had a guy that used to work for me really good. I mean, he's a great trial attorney. One of my competitors here. Great lawyer. But he's disingenuous in some respects. We were walking in. We had just had lunch. And he's never... Anybody in my conference room, anybody in my office that's new, I always say hi to every client, introduce myself. One time I had a client in the, down here, and I go say hi to everybody. So we had a kid in here, and uh, he, was, I, he was with his mom. 
And I walk up. He had a cane with him. He'd gotten hurt pretty bad. He has a cane. I take his cane. I start doing, if you're blue and you don't know where to go to, why don't you go where fashion sits? Putting on the Ritz. And his mother goes, who's this idiot? And he goes, mom, this is my attorney, Glenn Lerner. <laughs> I talk to everybody. I, that's what I am, you know? My guy ignored every single person ever in the conference room. I mean, in the reception area, walks by anybody, doesn't. But one day he sees somebody and like their neck brace on, arms bandage, you know, crutches. And he runs over and he says, hi, I'm so-and-so. And I walked up and I said to the client, this guy's a piece of poopy. He's never said hi to one person ever here in the reception area, but he sees you with all your, your paraphernalia on, you know? And he thinks, hey, I'm going to make money off this guy, so I'll just go say hi. Just want to let you know about him. You know? But this was while he was working for you? Right in front of him, I said it. Wow. Yeah, I don't like people doing that. Did, but, you, did you let him go? No, he ended up flying eventually. It was, he had to go off on his own eventually. He's a very gifted lawyer. You know, I wish he was a more gifted person. Interesting. You know? But I, I don't give a crap about what kind of lawyer you are. I can't know what kind of person you are. All I care if I, you, anybody we do, we hire, any interviews we do, all I ask, what kind of guy is he? What kind of lady is she? Are they high character or not? All I care about is high character people. I don't want the smartest people. How do you measure that in an interview? I don't know. You just get a feeling. People. You trust your gut. Yeah, but sometimes you, you strike out. Yeah. We all strike out. Yes, we do. You know, gosh, some of the people we thought were our friends. I've had people that have been friends for 10 plus years, and they sorely disappoint you sometimes, you know? And that's one of the things I'm noticing. I'm about to turn 59. How few friends I have. I know everybody in America. I mean, there are a few attorneys that know more people than I. I have more so friends around the country. Every big lawyer virtually I know hang out, dinner, da-da, speak to all the time. But how many real friends? I even count my friends now on two or three fingers. Some of my closest friends have passed away, you know? Aside from, I just hang out with my wife. That's it. I hang out with my wife. I hang out with my partner a lot. A um, couple other, that's it. As you get older, I want fewer people in my life. Now, you have 450 employees, give or take. What kind of processes do you have to have in place for that? Are you guys very process-driven? Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. We're very process-driven. And I think we're always, um, if I give myself a compliment, it's never complacent. We're always looking where we have holes and then trying to fill them. Always be better. Always trying to be better. Just because you money is not a measurement of whether you're doing what you do well. I really want to see us always doing things smoothly, efficiently, making sure fewer and fewer client complaints. And in this business, no matter what, you're always going to get some client complaints. We're dealing with a clientele. That's a, a unique clientele. We're advertising to the people that don't know any doctors, lawyers, Indian chiefs. We're usually advertising to a lower social echelon. Mm -hmm. And they're not going to process information the same as some other people would. So if you get it, I mean, how many times we've been told, you know, we stole the check. My attorney stole my check. Because we can't give them their check yet because we're still dealing with Medicare. Medicare could take three months, six months, nine months. But you try to explain that to a client that signed off on the release. They think that they're supposed to get paid. It is what it is. But we're always trying to come up with better and better processes. You know, um, we just hired a new attorney uh, maybe a month or so ago. And she said, man, 
comparing you guys to any other firm I've ever you know been with or I've heard about. I'm so impressed with the processes you have in place and just trying to get better all the time. I want to get better and better. I love that word, better. Great, we're getting better. Okay, let's get better. That's it. Okay, great. All right, we do well. All right, uh, in Arizona, last month, all 11 of my claims guys settled over a million dollars. Great. Month is over. What are you going to do this month? I don't give a crap what happened last month. The second it turns to the April 1st, all I care about is April. I don't care about last month. What have you done for me? Like, it's not about more, more, more. I want consistency. Any, I use Alabama and the New England Patriots as examples for anybody I talk to and both coaches, Nick Saban and Bill Belichick. They're about a process. So you give people a vision of what you're trying to create. You give them a process to achieve that and you tell them to trust in the process and to buy in. That's it. That's how you run a successful business. And then when you do what they've done, why do we talk about Nick Saban and Bill Belichick all the time, Alabama and, Alabama and New England, because consistency, consistency. Every year they were successful. New England's fallen on hard times the last couple of years, but God, the, there will never be that level of consistency in professional football, probably professional sports ever again. What, 17, 18, 19 years in a row without a losing season? That's unbelievable. Alabama, every year playing for the national championship or right there in such a competitive world because they have a process in place. That's what I want in my business. And so you try to be like those guys. I think they could lead any Fortune 500 company, either Nick Saban or Bill Belichick, and they both coach together. They used to be on the Cleveland Browns. They were assistant coaches with the Cleveland Browns. But they have these same ideas. How can you be a leader of people? You know, and get people to buy into your vision. Share your vision, give them a clear path to be successful and find successes. You know, every, all right, perfect example. There was a coach for um, Cleveland a couple years ago came in, big fat dude, Freddie Kitchens. He had come up from Alabama as an assistant and now he's the head coach at Cleveland. First thing for Cleveland had been 0 and 16 the year before. Second team besides Detroit to ever go the whole year without winning a game. Freddie, what does he say? First year, interviewing. Freddie, what's your goal? What are you trying to do? We want to win the Super Bowl. Come on, man. You're a moron. I know you're going to lose and be a loser and get fired. You know why? Let's set achievable goals for people. You haven't won a game. So first goal, we want to win a game. I don't want to win the Super Bowl. I want to win game first. Got to get people achievable goals. We're going to get better every day. What makes Nick Saban so successful is he doesn't worry about who the opponent is. I don't worry about who's out there. I don't worry about any of my competition. I don't worry about any of my competitors in any of the markets. My, my partner does. He's just he's so ingrained in listening to what's going on in the community, knows what everybody's doing. I don't give a crap about them. I'm going to focus on us. If you can beat me, beat me. But I'm going to focus on us doing everything we can. So Nick Saban's, okay, I don't care about who the opponent is. I don't care about, I'm going to try to win this game. I'm focusing on each player, on every play. If this player, the left tackle on this play, wins his matchup, we have a chance to be successful in that play. 
then we do it the next play. So get everybody to buy in to be successful in their, the things that they're doing daily. And you keep doing that consistently, consistently, consistently. And how do you get that across to such a large team? I think just coaching and, you know, we obviously have everything broken down into team leaders. And then, you know, the two ladies you saw wandering around here, so they're from my Phoenix office. They flew up with us today and they come in and they make sure people are following the process we put in. We put in some new processes recently. So the team leader for this office, for the case managers, they'll meet with her and go over the things and make sure they're all being implemented correctly. And what can we do to be better? What can we do to help? And we do that throughout the offices. We'll do that in the Albuquerque tomorrow. We'll fly into Albuquerque for a couple hours. So just trying to get everybody to buy in. And it's not easy. But I think if you make the attainable goals for people, if you said all of a sudden, okay, you know, Albuquerque, you're doing this. We want to we want to win the Super Bowl. You know, when the office just started a couple of years ago, we're going to win the Super Bowl. Right, well, we'll just settle our first case, you know? Yeah. And I think so. It's trying to, you want victories. And you need people to have, you know, a feeling that they're getting better all the time and a way to hold people accountable and to evaluate them and to give them good feedback and be able to tell, hopefully, in the first 90 days if this person's a keeper or not. If they're not a keeper, get them out. As long as the keeper keep really investing in them. You know, it's amazing how much time and energy. Do you know for every person you hire that you fire immediately, you've lost a year of salary? Yeah, it's crazy. And the energy, though, to educate people and to get people to buy into your, your system and your culture, it's a lot. You really, we're putting way more into hiring now. It used to be, oh, hey, Maria, oh, we like you. You're blonde here. You seem like a pleasant person. Welcome to the team. We got you doing the Wonderlick tests now. We got you doing so many personality tests. And still sometimes yeah, it doesn't work. But at least when we hire them, it's a much more educated process, I think. And I think they have a better... I don't want to have to fire anybody. I want people to be successful. I don't want to set people up for failure. Hiring someone for a job that just doesn't fit them, you know? You want to hire people that are going to be... I want longevity. So many of my people here have been with me 15, 20 years. That's how you build a good team. You got people coming in and out. That's not good. And it's so common now. Yeah, what's well, hard to hire right now? Oh, it's so tough. Yeah, it's hard running a business. Post-COVID, the world has just changed. It's not... You know, when COVID happened, I think we let go of about 80 people just to retract a little bit. You kind of looked around, and these people aren't adding a whole lot of value. These people are completely, they're getting paid to do nothing. This guy, this guy had some people that just, I loved them, but they just, they weren't adding the type of value that I needed. I knew it was coming with COVID. I kind of was like Nostradamus with it. I was like, this is going to be big. A couple people I know, ah, there's nothing. This will be a month. Yeah. We're still, everybody's still suffering from it. It'll never be the way it was. We're never going back to that. So you can either adapt and evolve or you become extinct. Did you guys go remote and do you still have a portion of that remote? We or? had, well, you had to go remote in certain places right. like Chicago True. was remote, especially as a blue city. This was remote for a while as a blue city. Arizona was only remote for the first couple months. And now um, do you still allow um, some remote work or no? You, you, there is no such thing as fully remote at my firm. Absolutely not. But you get one day off a week as long as you're doing your job. And if you're doing an exceptional job, then sometimes you can have two days off a week. Off, off or work from home? 
No, you don't get off work. You work from home. Okay. okay. Yeah, that, you don't get off. Yeah, no, yeah, just, just out of the office. Okay. You so you can work remotely up to two days a week. Now we still probably have ten to fifteen people around the country that work in certain offices, but moved. A lot of people moved moved to Florida, moved to Texas. A few people are living in Texas, so they work remotely. But then they have to come in every six to eight weeks and kind of spend several days in the office. More than anything, just to bond with their teammates. Yeah. I think it's important. I'm such a, I'm such a huge guy with culture and team. You know, I just love that whole concept. Yeah, we're all remote, and that's I would argue the one thing we miss out on. How many people do you have? We have thirty. Wow. Yeah. And where did they all? Where were they supposed to be working if they weren't remote? <laughs> So initially, it's it's so funny. We were going to sign a lease on an office in San Diego the week that COVID hit. <gasps> and we like had already negotiated, lawyer involved, like the whole thing. And we say to the to the broker, we're like, I don't, I think we should hold off. Like my kids were sent home from school. And he was like, oh, no, this is nothing to worry about. And we were like, our gut was like, no, let's just hold off. And we, we didn't sign it. And then we actually started hiring employees out of Mexico. And now about 65% of our employees are in Mexico. And I will say they are amazing employees. Like, I would argue better employees than U.S. employees. In which respects? It's just a completely different culture. Like there's no such thing as like silent quitting. Um, and obviously we pay for Mexico standards. Amazing. And it has to be, you know, kids with a certain level of education. I say kids because they're on the younger side. What, in terms of pay scale, is it is it equivalent or less? No, it's much less. So it allows us to have way better results and scale because we have so many more people per huh. project. Versus here, we'd have one person there, we get four. I get you. I just never, you know, people have talked to me about virtual hiring or... A um, lot of lawyers are doing it. I just, I'd rather pay millions millions more a year to have my people on the ground and be able to touch their lives, you know? I just It's not just about money with me. I want to be able to see them, touch them, feel them. I just think, all in all, I think they get... They give more back to the clients being in constant contact with my partner and I, our people, than somebody just, you know, somebody. Well, we have offices, and, yeah. so we actually have. No, I, I mean, though. The, like, uh, virtual assistant type of thing. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you're you're so set up, though. I mean, you, you've built such an amazing brand that I think it makes sense for you, but I could see how lawyers oh, just would starting save, out. Oh, it would save a ton of money going to virtual you wouldn't yeah yeah it would but save i could see of, what i mean is like a young lawyer just yeah, starting oh, out they don't have the well i know. was talking to ethan ostroff you know ethan his name sounds familiar but he I don't. he he boy's a sharp young guy but we were doing it the other night and talking and he owns a virtual assistant company putting virtual assistants in touch with lawyers and overseeing the whole thing yeah there and are you a lot can of those. certainly understand why people do that it's highly efficient um, I think it's just, what do you want? Is it Charlie? At the point, at the, I think the point we are, is the money worth not having the people in our stable more than anything, you know? I can't explain it. I just feel culturally being here 
they can offer the client more than if they were just off in their own little world, still doing what they're asked to do, but they don't bleed learner and row. I mean, all our people, we probably have 200 of our 450 people are involved with all our gives back. You know, we, um, gee whiz, we're going to raise a million one, a million two for our golf tournament. At the end of the month, we were named the most philanthropic business in Arizona. It's pretty amazing what we've done with our, our gives back and our philanthropic side. And it's kind of fun. It's like playing Robin Hood, you know, growing up poor like I did, you know, going and robbing the insurance companies, take a little for myself and get the client's money and then give a bunch back in the community. It's cool. Isn't it crazy, though, how some people think, like, lawyers are the issue instead of, like, it's really the insurance company? The insurance companies are scumbags, but it is what it is. They're just corporate America. It's fun to hit them. But um, to be able to do that and engage our employees, I think you get a different type of an employee. You, they galvanize the employee base by the things we do in the community. And Leonard Rowe is just two dudes. <laughs> you know, it's, it's two dudes, but we can't represent all these people coming in. So it's our people, but they need part of our DNA. And I think the only way they can have that is being involved with the other people involved. And it's kind of all, it all, if they were over in the Philippines or Mexico, they don't get that. But here, interacting with the people that interact with us, you get it, you know. And I think they become part of this culture. And I, I want to build that. I no, like that. there's a benefit, of I course. I like being a boss. And I like being a godly boss and a good boss. I am a good boss. I'm a fun boss. No, I see. I'm, I, I got I'm to chaos. see it for a second. I am chaos. How often do you go to all the different offices, though? 90% I'm in my main Phoenix office. I go into the office every single day. I don't work a full day, but I go into the office usually from 9 to 1. You know, Kevin and I have lunch virtually every day, go over stuff. Um, 9.30 to 1.30. How did you whatever. guys meet? He was introduced to me here through a, a close personal friend we both shared. And so he said, you got to meet this guy, my lawyer. And so he and I met. He had just um, he had just finished law school maybe a year or so before, but hadn't passed the bar. And he's, we just hit it off. We were two little, two little maniacs <laughs> set loose in Vegas. So we were having fun. And we just hit it off, and then he was the only person I ever asked to become a partner and gave a piece of the business. I told him in 2005, go get licensed in Arizona, I'll give you a piece of the practice. And I did, and then he did such a great job with Arizona, I gave him a piece of all the other practices. About three, four years ago, I gave him a piece of Vegas, Chicago. He's great at the day-to-day. No one in the country runs day-to-day better than he does. He's so anal, so stressed. <laughs> Everybody says, do you sleep well at night? I said, yeah, I sleep great because I know he's not. <laughs> That's amazing. Nothing in the world stresses me out. I need someone he, to everything, stress for me. Everything in the world stresses him out. Nothing stresses me out. You could tell me the whole business went down. Okay, whatever. My farm's paid for. I'll go back to my farm. I don't care. I don't get too upset about anything. I know where I came from. You know, I think when you've come from not much and you grew up the way I did with my dad in jail for double murder and just a tough kid always fighting, it bothers me. I'm always going to fight. That's one I mean, I've had, it's been amazing. They've counted me dead and out about 50 times and everybody always misjudged when they thought I was done, you know? And so uh, I'm still standing and that's kind of, that's kind of cool. Did you do a lot of personal development work? Uh, Jesus. Hmm, interesting. Did a lot of G- Jesus did a lot of development on my person. <laughs> but that is, he, I think, he had a, a lot. That was a lot of work for Jesus. 
I was I was one of his big reclamation projects, but he's very proud of me now. I would argue that is that self development though. It just absolutely. But it's not. I don't give myself credit for anything. I think it's only when you submit to His Lordship in your life that you can finally start to grow. You know, we're always we always want to be in control. I think it's once you realize that uh, I've been in control this whole time, and it's been nothing but a train wreck with me in charge. You know, so I finally gave God the keys to the car. Now, when I did give him the keys to the car, it was a Rolls Royce at the time. So he's like, "Thank you, Greg. nice car." <laughs> gonna that's, be pimping that's funny i'm a control freak so that definitely makes me nope. think zero interest in control and that's where my anxiety comes from because yeah. i can't control things you can't i think the first thing to realize is you can't control things i know so i have an issue with that the only thing i can't control is my love of trees and buying trees and plants it's madness now you ever what is this tree obsession where did it come from? I don't know. I, th- I truly believe I watched Dr. Seuss's The Lorax, and it probably just affected me very badly. <laughs> so what is it that you love about trees? I just like creating. I'm a very, very, very creative dude. I just like building things. Like, I like building my business, and then I'm on to the next thing. Butterfly. Look, Jason. You know? I like building things. I like the challenge of building, and then it's much harder to maintain than to attain. It's easy to build something. Try to do, I, perfect example. So an attorney said to me one night, we were having dinner and um, we were in Chicago. He had opened there as well. And he used to work for me and he's like bragging. He's having a great year. He said, I'm going to make $10 million this year and da, 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 da. I said, dude, dude, I'm proud of you. That's fantastic. But you know what? Brag to me when you've done it 17 years in a row in multiple markets. You know? Consistency. Bill Belichick, Nick Saban consistency i don't give a crap about one hit wonders that's why you see all these morons on the billboards don't worry about them half these guys are cheating to get what they're getting and ultimately it's going to come back cheating oh my god half these people are paying for tow truck drivers paying people in the hospitals it is what it is isn't it illegal of course it's illegal the bars don't do anything about it though you know the bars don't do anything about it it's amazing every place everybody cheats we're the only ones who have never cheated, I think. And the truth is, I'm the one who has to deal with the bar half the time because they don't like a zombie in one of my commercials. You had a zombie? We had a zombie in the commercial, and the bar sent us a lot of saying, um, you need to state that that is, a, that is um, not a real person. I'm like, you got to be kidding me, you morons. Which, <laughs> which bar was this? This is the Nevada bar. Really? Yeah, it's crazy. Are you in Texas? You're not in Texas, right? Um, yeah, we handle cases there because we have licensed the attorneys is. there. Yeah, it's getting the whole business model is changing. Texas's you know, tort reform is really, you know, except for the big commercial cases, Texas is tough. Florida is undergoing massive tort yeah. reform. I've had, you know, I've just had a friend of mine reach out to me today saying he wants to talk because he wants to try to come out here and do something to Arizona. You know, with the uh, alternative business structures come out there like a lot of people have, but every place is changing. It is what it is, you know. Everybody, you make hay while the sun shines when your market goes down. You know, this market was the best in the United States for a long time. Then everybody came in thinking it was so great. Then the insurance company started just fighting us on everything. It became more difficult. You know, now you have a ton of people. This is probably the most competitive market in the United States, Las Vegas. Really? Oh, yeah. The amount of money. Of oh, the amount of money. Speed? 
billboard TV, radio. The amount of money spent per TV household here is as much as any place in the country. Only places even comparable are Atlanta, Birmingham, Alabama, and Baton Rouge. It's crazy. But Phoenix is getting ultra competitive. I didn't every, know that. Every market's competitive. Think about the business. Some poor bugger goes out and gets hurt, takes one for the team, and you get to make a million dollars. Come on. Sign me up, coach. I want to do that business, you know? It is what it is. That's why it's so competitive. Anybody in, you know, can become a one-hit wonder. You know, you get lucky. Your aunt's hairdresser's gardener's boyfriend's dog sitter doesn't know who to call, and they call you by chance because the dog sitter's aunt's babysitter's hairdresser's whatever said, call so-and-so. He just passed the bar. Yeah. And so yeah. this moron gets a case. You know, someone's head fell off. Refers it out to some big shot attorney like Brian Panish or somebody. Gets a referral fee of 40% on $20 million. And now he's a competitor overnight. Just got a $3 million check. And if he doesn't go out and waste it all, he's going to be your competitor on TV. It is what it is. There's no other business in the world that you can do that. How much longer do you think TV's going to work? Every year TV's going down in the amount of... Um, as the media buys, I think roughly about 40 to 42% of media spend is now on TV. And about five years ago, it was still 60%. So it's, I mean, it's still, we're spending, we spend 40% of our budget on TV. But it's trying to get more creative with radio and billboards. I don't even understand billboards anymore. I would assume billboards. Bill, have it's to just work. it's we all blend with one another. I mean, you drive around here. This is madness. I vague. see your billboards are all the time. Yeah, but so you see everybody else's billboards I see a too. Lot of billboards. How do you differentiate me and my personality from the other people on a billboard? You can't. I can't. We're all two dimensional there. They can compete with me there. They can't compete with me here because I'm so charming and witty and fun and different. You know, it is what it is. That's why TV's great for me because I say car and park and you can't hear that on a billboard. So people from Boston, they hear car. Hey, it's a mating call. They're like, I like that guy. I'm going to that guy. You know, he's from back East, but it's just, um, TV's always been good for us because I think people see us for who we are. We're just approachable dudes. We're regular guys. Do you do that social went to law media? Like TikToks, reels. <sighs> No, oh, don't get me sad on TikTok. We tried TikTok and they had me dancing and doing no, stupid things. No, really? Yeah, I wanted to kill myself. It was so embarrassing. I said, I'm not doing any more of this crap. You stopped? Yeah, they said, well, why don't you start commenting on things? You'd be good at commenting on you know, things that are happening in the news. So I might start doing that. I don't just know. Just do something that feels authentic to you. I'm don't too do lazy something. to do that stuff, though. But you just said that that's where your charisma is. So why wouldn't you be doing it? Because yeah, it takes too much time away from my trees. Oh, my goodness. So what do you do? Do you just plant a bunch of trees? No, like I, you, I buy just... trees and I have people plant them. I, I, and then well, I walk I and I look at them and say, so I have a couple hundred acres at my farm in Pennsylvania. I bet you 50, we've planted hundreds and hundreds. And when I plant trees, I plant trees that weigh, you know, a couple tons. What do you bring? I always, like, are they brought from I brought, I brought from other nurseries, but I bring in, you know, we bring them in big trucks. Video? No, but I mean, I have one cool video of some trees being craned in here with a 180-ton tray at my house in Arizona. But um, we'll bring in big trees, you know, everything big root balls, you know. But we have, I mean, I just bought, I just bought a, my first excavator, my first giant excavator. 
Yeah, yeah, we got it all going on at my farm. Got, I got tractors, excavators. We got all sorts of goodies. But um, oh, we'll plant giant, giant trees. And you know what? I'll plant a tree, walk around for a year, and they say, I don't like that tree there. Dig it up, plant it somewhere else. Okay, but you don't get rid of it. No, 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 no. But I call it the Snoopy statue effect. Now, you know what a Snoopy statue is? No. Remember Snoopy? Yes. You know Snoopy? When I was a kid growing up, we had these Snoopy statues, and Snoopy statues had little sayings on them, and I collected them. I couldn't go to sleep at night if every one of my Snoopy statues wasn't lined up perfectly. So you are OCD. Beyond. So if I look at things, and it depends upon my mood and where I am, I look at the, where the trees are. I don't like that tree there anymore. Okay, go get the excavator. Let's move the tree. You know, and it, it's time goes on. It gets a little more difficult moving, you know, a, a three-ton tree now, not a one-ton tree, and you're moving it uh, half a mile away. Just the way my mind works. I've, you know, sometimes I walk around my property and think, oh, I am definitely going mad. But it's better than like doing drugs or something like that, you know. So it's healthy. Well, I think it must also be like you have so much money, right? Obviously, I have to assume that you do. So what do you do with, you know, like... Yeah, I never cared about money that much. I'm the but least, it gives you the yeah. ability to do things like move absolutely. a bunch of trees everywhere. Yeah, that's right? my piece. It's absolutely besides working out. I'm outside. I don't like being inside. I'm just one of those people. I'm out, you know, when I'm wandering around my property in Pennsylvania, or even where I live in Arizona, I have a big parcel. I'm always wandering around in the wash, just doing things. I, I just like being outside. I like looking at things. Like looking at the birds and things like that. It's very peaceful to me when I'm not working. I think it takes my mind away from this stuff, you know? Thank you so much to Glenn Lerner for everything he shared today. If you found this story valuable, please share it with someone you want to see succeed and subscribe so you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review. It goes a long way to help others discover the show. Catch us next week on Tip the Skills with me, Maria Monroy, president of Laurink. Hear how the best in the business broke out of limiting beliefs, overcame adversity, and built a thriving purpose-driven business in the process.